You're listening to Marcus Sahaba Online Radio Podcast. Uh, where you all join us on your favorite plot, which is uh, Legal Talk. And Alhamdulillah, on a Friday, all of you gathering around uh, your receivers, around your radios, and uh, whatever apps uh, you're getting us on, let's welcome you all with a hearty assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And uh, this evening, I can tell you, we have uh, your favorite back, and none other than uh, our attorney, Hafiz uh, Muhammad Kufadia. And Alhamdulillah, I can just see that noor ala noor. He's this man ready, ready, harvested well in Ramadan. Muhammad, salam alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. I think it's fine, a beautiful evening. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And I'm doing well. Just came out of Ramadan. Now what's it like? Two weeks. Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. I mean, the top spirits, the noor ala noor that you're talking about is probably not because of the load shedding. <laughs> so... Um, it's, it's it's some other source of the light. We just simple people, but once again, thank you for receiving me such so warmly this Friday evening, and thank you for having me on your show once again. It felt like forever. Days in Ramadan, I was actually thinking and pondering. Shafat is not calling me. Shafat is not asking about me. I wonder if he's now replaced me with somebody that's even better than me. You know, your humility, alhamdulillah, Allah bless you for that. He that humbles himself will be elevated, and he that elevates himself will be hum- humble. Yes, sir, Muhammad, uh, perhaps uh, some of the highlights uh, of your Ramadan, you know, share some spirituality with us, and uh, how did it go with, the, you know, your, uh, you know, the, with the people that you go out and uh, met, you know, in uh, so, alhamdulillah. so far? Alhamdulillah, what we did this Ramadan um, is that we continued with uh, some of our feeding programs. Uh, we I don't stay far from a, a, a colored township, if I can still use those terms, El Dorado Park. So some, most people heard about El Dorado Park, but there's a masjid there and the musallis and the people and the environment around the masjid is extremely poor. A lot of people live in abject poverty and you see that because when we feed the people, and we ask people to come with their own containers. And a lot of times people will come with these floral containers. A lot of times people will sometimes come with even two-liter bottles, which they cut open, and they come, and that is now going to be the container that they're bringing. People would come with checkers, plastics. And um, But alhamdulillah, on the last Sunday, uh, we were able to feed about 2,000 people, alhamdulillah. Um, you know, the uh, this feeding scheme is going on for many years, um, started by some brothers, about 15 to 20 years ago, I don't even know the exact um, time frame that it's be, this work is being done. But this year especially, um, I invited the family and the kids, and I said, you know, we don't know how much longer we're going to be. We cook, the, it was beef curry, and about 15 eggs on the last Sunday. So it was definitely a need for the younger generation to come in and help because the eggs by its very nature is heavy stuff. You know, it's a lot of hard work. And then making fires, making sure the fires are burning constantly. Sometimes the fire needs to be higher and sometimes a bit lower. Uh, meat needs to be washed and tomatoes needs to be uh, liquidized and onions need to be fried and all these things. So we got the youngsters involved, we got the children involved and we hope that for many years, hence, that this work can, can, can continue and people can continue to benefit out of the little effort that we do. So yes, you've asked me this particular question. And I'd respond by saying that was maybe um, some of the the charity that Muslims across the country, across the world are involved in. And, you know, everybody does their own 
little effort, especially in the month of Ramadan. People do their own effort. And whatever we, way we can, we continue to assist and contribute and empower the people that are less fortunate than ourselves. Gee, uh, Muhammad, you know, already whilst you were talking, uh, my mind went into, a, you know, a pool of thoughts. And one of the, those things, uh, you know, we work so closely with individuals uh, that are like-minded like us, uh, you know, that help us in the Dao work and, you know, they, 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 they do what we like uh, doing. And you know, like in my case, I've seen many of the elders that I worked with, uh, you know, making parza from the dunya, one of them being Sheikh Ahmadi, that uh, Raimunda, there was a G.H. Agji, Advocate I.M. Bawa, and, you know, we looked at closed circles. So many have gone. Uh, perhaps in your organization, you know, the young, the old, or how many have made parda? and you, 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 you know, I mean, you think very deeply of them. You know, there's one organization where I actually requested, you know, I told them, please take my name off uh, uh, the, uh, you know, your, your, your executive or the, you know, the, the, the trustees that are there. And the chairman of that organization told, how could I take off your name? You are like an Abu Bakr to me. <laughs> I could take the name out then, uh, Muhammad. But go ahead. Gee, no, of course. I I think that that reminds me of the story of the Treaty of Arabia, where the Vishal were negotiating with the Kuffar, and they didn't refuse to accept uh, Allah is Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. So um, the Vishal told Ali radiallahu anhu that you know the, say Bismillah, remove Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, and you know Ali uh, reluctantly removed it and it came to uh, Muhammad Rasulullah the Kuffar said we don't believe that you Rasulullah if we believe that you Rasulullah will be Muslims and um, uh, I asked Ali to remove it you know, and Ali was reluctant to remove it until eventually the system said show me show me where it is written and I would remove it with my own so yes you know our our time is just uh, mata you know it's just uh, the time in this world is just a short I uh, breath of of our existence, and if we have to consider how short our life is, I mean, me and you are coming in the 60s, if I can say that, uh, we 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 wonder to ourselves what a fleeting glance this dunya was, and how quickly we've reached these particular ages. When we look at the younger generation, and we wonder to ourselves how much are they going to experience, and how short and brief do they even realize this life is. So definitely, definitely, um, we we our our existence is only temporary. That's the nature of the dunya. That's the nature of our existence until eventually everything is going to fade from this world. So before we go, we can do some element of goodness, some element of um, of of charity, some good words, kind words, some element of dawah. There's so much that we can do. In fact, there's a verse of the Quran where on the day of Kiamat. People will tell Allah, you know, uh, that Allah return me to the dunya so that there's one or two good things that I've left aside and I've cast aside. And now that looking at the value of our good actions, just send me back so that I can go back to the dunya and I can perform that one, one, one small so-called insignificant deed in this dunya, but yet how significant it will be in the year after. And Allah says, Kalla, Kalla, you know, a person who knows and understands Arabic says, Kalla is not La, it's an emphasis on the word La. Kalla, innaha kalimatun huwa qa'iluha. Verily, this is only a word 
that the people will say. Because we gave you a chance in the dunya. And you've passed the barzakh. Once you've passed the barzakh, nobody has been past the barzakh and have come back from the barzakh. That's, that's a permanent barrier that you cross. And Allah says that opportunity is gone. When you have the opportunity, take full advantage of it. That's why the reminder comes in the Quran about so much of the year after that we have to consider and put, put into the dunya perspective and say, am I going to be that person who's going to cry for a day of regret, the day of sadness, going to cry and wonder to myself, why didn't I just feed that poor person he came to know? Why didn't I just read it once, subhanallah, alhamdulillah, Allah, how much blessings, I'm seeing the weight of it on the scale now, and yet I wasted my time in fruitless activities. So yes, you know, these are lessons about the nature and the brevity of our existence. These are lessons for us, you know, um, always the short time this world on this earth that in itself is a name from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the previous nations used to live for hundreds of years Nuh alayhi salam his dawah alone was 950 years Adam alayhi salam lived for 960 years this was the nature of the previous generations and in the same time Allah has reduced the time span according to the hadith on Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. The average age of my ummah will be between 60 and 70 years old. So we know that it is a gift from Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala even to reach 50 or 60. But yet we take it for granted. We at 60 and 70, we're still dreaming about the huge mansions that we're going to build. And they're going to be dreaming about the huge business empires that we're going to establish. While we become extremely neglectful and extremely unaware ghafla, in Arabic you say ghafla you become unaware of the purpose of your existence and the value of your time and the quality of your time and how much effort a person should be putting in in the few years that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has granted us. So yes this is some of the reminders for ourselves Shafat. Uh, beautiful indeed there, uh, Muhammad. You know, it reminds me of an anecdote. I mean, it's uh, Hazrat Ali radiallahu anhu said, uh, the world is a shadow of a cloud and a dream of a sleep. He that walks on the surface of this earth will one day get into its belly. And as you said, hitting the 60s, and you know, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam made parda from the dunya at the age of 63. And I always tell people, if you're beyond that 63, you're hitting tahajjud. So you be very grateful for what you have done. And I'm glad, you know, we have this realization that we were on this earth and we thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for giving us the opportunity of at least doing some da'wah work. And, you know, this realization that came through and it could be triggered by an individual, you know, that uh, we still make du'a for. Uh, for One day, uh, I'm going to share this with you, uh, Muhammad. Uh, you know, Ahmadi, that whilst uh, sh- uh, this uh, Salman Rushdie saga was on, and at that time, I happened to be the that's editor. And, uh, you know, and he was thinking, how do I give a rebuttal to this man? And there's a certain brother, Farooq from the UK, sent him a letter. He said, no, uncle, you have to do something about this. So, you know, he's saying, but uh, then D that's that uh, had, a, you know, uh, brainstorming around him. And he said, you see what? Everyone's burning. Uh, I mean, they're getting emotional. They're getting killed and so forth. Let's turn the tables on these people. Let's turn the table on the West and, uh, you know, Perhaps my topic will be how Rushdi fooled the West. So this is how we went. I went and gave the lecture. And subsequently, all over the world, the, the after people read the satanic verses, uh, they started looking for more. I mean, they say, hey, let's, where can we get more of, 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 of all this? So they went to the Noble Quran. And guess what? The biggest seller became, forget the Salman Rushdi's satanic verses, 
But the noble Quran, you know, we were sending thousands and thousands of boxes to uh, the UK and to the USA and so forth. And Deed had told me, he said, see, better. Sometime Allah uses shaitan to do his work. Muhammad, your comments? Ah, so true, so true. After we've seen that in our in our time, we've seen that also with the 9-11 and the conspiracy surrounding it, what happened? Qurans were out of stock, Books, bookstores were out of stock. Suddenly there was a resurgence and an interest about what Islam has to offer. So is Islam this terrorist religion that says kill all and sundry wherever you find them? Let's put things in perspective and context. And they find that, funny enough, it was since the 9-11 that Islam actually began to grow. So, you know, sometimes you look at things and in our narrow perception of things, we assume that this thing is actually going to be a harm for the, and a bala for the Muslims around the world, whatever it may be, Salman Rushdie or 9-11 or whatever conspiracies they talk about, we assume on the face of it, but Allah is al-alim. He is all-knowing. He knows and understands and he plans and he, he has a nidam and a system. So yes, we we people in Dawa would automatically pick up on these things to say, why are so many people suddenly embracing Islam? And suddenly there's a resurgence about the interest of Islam. And when you and you listen to these stories, you see it. People tell you that you know, nine one one. I thought the Muslims were terrorists, and you know, we 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 asked to then go and attend and confront our local, the imams in the local masjids, and the the imams came out and invited us in, and you know, we received such a warm welcome, and um, we we I I heard a story uh, about a person that actually was planning in the USA to planning to bomb up a masjid. And, you know, he, he had everything ready and he was like now about to go do the deed. And he comes into the masjid and he receives the exact opposite response to what he was anticipating. And uh, through this effort, he got to know that Muslims are peace-loving people and Muslims just want to be living fruitfully, harmoniously and have practice religious freedom. This is for them a priority. And uh, alhamdulillah, so we we we... We ourselves perceive things in a particular manner and fashion, but of course, you know, our understanding of things is very limited and our understanding of things is very basic. And um, Allah, Allah will continue to grow this um, deen with and with our assistance, with and without our effort. And um, no matter how they try to extinguish the light of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, um, uh, it will. Uh, the light of Allah Subhanahu will continue to shine and manifest through until the end of times. Amin. Amin, uh, Muhammad, and uh, Jazakallah Khaira for that. Wallahu alimun hakimun, and Allah is all knowing, all wise. Uh, getting into our topic uh, this evening, uh, Muhammad, and it's uh, quite an interesting one. And uh, you know, you are a master at this uh, topic and uh, reasons why properties uh, lose their value. And uh, many you say, yeah, you know what. Hey, I got this. I mean, I'm, I'm going to share a story with you. And, you know, I mean, you motiv- motivated uh, me on this. I knew uh, an, a gentleman, and he happened to be someone that used to always confide in me. When he used to build his flats and so forth, he should take me with him. And that, you know, I was a, a lighty then, because I should coach him in tennis. So he'll tell me, he says, you see this, I'm building this uh, flat for my my daughter, for my son. And this for my grandchildren, and I'm building that. And at that time, I was naive. I said, oh, mashallah, mashallah. He subsequently built about three, four, five flats. And, you know, he kept on bragging about for my grandchildren, and they will never be poor. And guess what, Muhammad? Many, many years later, many, many years later, 
there was a squabbling in the family was this that those flats are gone everything is gone and uh, i just heard one of his uh, family members saying every battling so you know this um, attitude of showing off and boasting and say you know what uh, my by my grandchildren and my great great grandchildren will be secured uh, we shouldn't be talking like that muhammad but you know because you and i in this uh, in, in this conversation perhaps you can motivate people to be you know to have a mizan to be on the you know uh, on the in the middle part talk to us muhammad Gee, so when I was a teenager, I heard one day Sheikh Ahmad Didat quote a beautiful verse from the Quran, and wallahi, it resonated. I wasn't I wasn't um, happy at that time, and you know, but I, I I seem to have understood the 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 message of what he was trying to say. So eventually, when I came to memorize the verse, and I looked at it and I put things into perspective. I thought wow what a beautiful verse if only we can begin to appreciate some of the verses in the Quran so Allah tells us in the Quran kam taraku min jannati wa uyun you know uh, how many of the previous nations left um behind wonderful wonderful gardens and 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 jannati wa uyun and springs and wells and they left fields and they left huge palaces and huge mansions. And, and fruits and other blessings. Allah says, likewise, today there are other people that use and appreciate all the values of the previous nations and the previous peoples. And you go and you look and you marvel at some of the beautiful gardens today that exist. They talk about the gardens of Babylon, or they may talk about the gardens in Cairo at the Sphinx. They may talk about some of the antiquities and the, you know, and the verses of the Quran says these people enjoyed and they made the best and they live like lords and they live like kings and everything that was that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala could have given them in the dunya, they took full advantage of 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 those things you know and uh, at the end of the day they they die and pass on and other people uh, continue to use it and they have absolutely no benefit no no value uh, to their in their uh, in their death in their death and their exist in their promote there's absolutely no value to them that's so much so that when they die the verse says further that not even the heavens and the angels would shed one tear for them. So you may or may not remember Shaykh Ahmadira talking about this verse, but this verse is so true. It needs so much more consideration than the time that we have allocated to ourselves. But it makes a person just go back and understand that, you know what, I'm going to build all these things. I may not even begin to appreciate. You look and listen to the stories of the Taj Mahal, and it took so many decades, 20-odd years for the Taj Mahal to be completed. But the time, when a person first started with the idea, he was in his middle age, and by the time he was, the thing was complete, his wife had already passed on, or she did pass on before. But what I mean is that you're too old to climb a flight of stairs. What value is the Taj Mahal even to the, to the people that existed so much in their time? So when Aaron Zeb, the son, comes in and becomes the king, he then takes over and he wonders to himself, what is wrong with my father? Why would he build such a huge monster, wasting resources, wasting Islamic, uh, wasting the, the value, valuable time and material and effort? And he saw it fit that his father needs to be imprisoned. And his father used to sit, they say, across the river and look from his cell at the Taj Mahal every day and wonder. But 
You talk about these family squabbles. How much of it do we, can we, like we use the term in law, can you rule from the grave? Can you be lying in your grave and say, my son must inherit this and he must live and he's not allowed to have two wives and he must continue to look after X, Y, and Z for as long as he's alive? These things don't always materialize. Children have minds of their own. Children have lives of their own. You know, sometimes people tell me, please do a well, but give my son the business on the condition that um, every month he does this and every month he pays for that and he can't take a salary of more than so much and he does this and that. I said, are you really truly giving it to him? Are you gifting it and you're bequeathing it to him? Because it appears that you're appearing to be giving it to him, but at the end of the day, you want to rule from the grave. So that's not really a bequest. If you're going to give your son a car and say, son, you can only drive within a three-kilometer square radius and you can't leave out, then the, the car has little or no value to, the, to your child. And it's Islamically, you have not really gifted it to him because if he was the true owner of the asset, you would be able to do with the asset as he pleases. So, yes, points for consideration. You know, we, because we involve with these things on the day-to-day basis, we try, we try to assist people in, in, at looking at things from an Islamic perspective and making them understand also that uh, Islamically, we have to conform and we have to be part and parcel of the Islamic Sharia, even though we live in a Western country, we live in a secular country, we live in a democratic country, at the end of the day, we are obliged to follow the Quranic injunctions that appear, and alhamdulillah, we, we are allowed and afforded those opportunities. So we have no excuse. We have no excuse to come forth and to, to, to live our lifestyle as best as we can within the precepts and the allowances of Sharia. Uh, beautiful and eloquent indeed, uh, Muhammad. You know, what I uh, really appreciated that, you know, you, you talk about, uh, you know, these different scenarios fighting uh, over inheritance, over the will, and, uh, you know, parents are still governing from the grave, and I mean, how they may be turning in the grave uh, for, for making these uh, big mistakes. Because when you read the Quran with the, you know, with the meaning, and, uh, you know, you get the gist of the Quran, uh, surely you cannot repeat these uh, mistakes, uh, but uh, generations upon generations are repeating mistakes because perhaps we're doing something wrong somewhere, Muhammad. Gee, no, uh, you know, uh, the Islam Islam is or should always be used as the guiding principle. Islam Islam should always be used as our our Sharia and should be back. So whenever decisions are made worldly business decisions always you know put islamic perspective into everything and with that we can actually then continue to be guided by what allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allows us and you find they that is where the barakah and the blessings emanate from oh, absolutely and uh mashallah we have our muftis there like mufti ak hussein and many others uh, that will also give us uh, guidance uh, there and uh, inshallah keep us on straight and narrow but uh, you know Muhammad what I like to know is you know the fighting over inheritance and the fighting over will why is it such a uh, such an ugly situation where brother and brother or even uh, I know of instances where a son took his uh, blind mother to court because it was uh, fighting over the, in- his, uh, you know, the, the, the inheritance of the will why does it get so ugly Muhammad you know the, the beauty the beauty about Islamic laws of succession is that there is no, re, no there is no need to renegotiate and to rediscuss and to re-compromise on what has already been established. So I had a situation a few years ago 
where exactly the situation was siblings were at each other's throats regarding this is considered to be our inheritance and things that need to be done this way. And, you know, the attorneys were also involved. And one of the siblings said, wait, let me consult somebody independent. And, you know, he came into my office and he said, what do I do? I said, I don't need to know the history behind the case. I just need to know uh, the information that is sufficient for me to complete what the percentages would be and what each one would then inherit as a result of the uh, as the, as a result of, of of the division. So, for example, if you're going to receive 12.5 percent, there's no reason for you to be demanding 15 percent or 20 percent. And likewise, by not giving you your 12.5 percent, you are actually creating zulam and oppression for that particular sibling. So. I worked out the percentages and I said, if this is the asset and this is the value of the asset, this will be the net result of the asset. So as a result of which you'll find that we have to, um, that, that this is how I'm going to state the siblings must inherit. And they presented it to the attorneys and the attorneys were ready to receive it because they understood that, you know what, from an Islamic perspective, there's no room for further negotiation. And Alhamdulillah, because of that, the parties decided to reconcile and whatever outstanding issues there was, they managed to do it. And they saved themselves hundreds of thousands of rands in the process. They saved themselves unnecessary enmity, unnecessary acrimony um, between the siblings. And Alhamdulillah, it's these types of, if you put Islam first and make it a priority, you'll find that as at the end of the day, yeah, Islam has the solution to these issues. So no need to re refer these matters to court and no need to get unnecessarily involved in, in litigation and financial expenses and all that. There, there is solutions from Islamic perspective. If we just allow that to take place, it will happen for us. Well, uh, Muhammad, uh, brilliant indeed, and uh, you and I can go on uh, discussing uh, issues uh, that really, uh, you know, is important to the Ummah. But Allah bless you for sharing uh, valuable and, uh, you know, your words of wisdom uh, with us uh, this evening. Uh, getting back to our topic, uh, Muhammad, uh, you know, reasons why uh, properties uh, lose their value. And yeah, perhaps, uh, Muhammad, to start off, changes in the real estate market. I mean, uh, that can lower the value of our homes. Oh, you know, yeah, in case that we had a natural disasters, uh, you know, a year ago, and it was that nat uh, natural uh, disaster that uh, ruined uh, certain buildings that had to be evacuated, uh, some business centers uh, where, you know, where the tenants uh, left it, when they got back, uh, they they were told by inspectors, no, you can't come back here because the foundation of this building has been severely affected. So the landlord has to redig the foundation and put in pillars to strengthen that and so forth. So, I mean, you know, that could have uh, caused a, the devaluation of a, uh, you know, a property or a business site and so forth. Uh, you know, perhaps you can add more to that, uh, Mohammed. Gee, so obviously, you know, um, the natural... Uh, the aging of the building will allow sometimes that buildings like human beings, we need to be maintained and repaired from time to time. Yes, and as a building gets older, you'll find that there needs to be much more maintenance and much more considerations that needs to take place. You know, after many years, plumbing starts uh, rusting, wiring needs to be reconsidered, then makeup needs to be done onto a particular building. So like that, you mean like painting and, you know, constant weathering and waterproofing. These types of things are obviously natural things that needs to take place. When you talk about structural changes and structural expenses, those these are capital expenses. And generally, you know, uh, it's, it's very uncommon to find that uh, people would be settled with these types of expenses. But 
lo and behold, there's all these there's situations that the person needs to um, they needs to spend a huge amount of money sometimes on on pillars and foundations and roofs, and this needs to be considered. And like any business and any um, asset, if you want to receive maximum benefit. You then sometimes have to react and you have to then be one step ahead and spend some money on these types of things. And yes, then you spend these huge amounts of money that could very well uh, impact and impede on your income and the net worth of your assets. So it's sometimes, you know, these, uh, these, these, these expenses, hidden expenses, latent expenses, when they do creep in, um, it's sometimes difficult and difficult to want to have to maintain buildings and especially as they age and as they get older, then the maintenance and these things then rise accordingly. But um, any any ex- ex- asset needs to be looked after and considered very carefully if you want to receive maximum benefits. There's many reasons why property loses value and that's, you know, one of the reasons is the maintenance of the uh, building should always be considered if you want the building to continue to value and uh, in, in accordance with inflation. So by default, the property is supposed to appreciate by the by the market influences. So the residential accommodation could 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 appreciate by anywhere between five and eight percent every year, which is great because it means that your investment and your asset is appreciating. And the day you need to dispose of it, you will retrieve or recover some of uh, all your money and in fact make make a profit together with it. Gina, Mohammed, you know, you very eloquently talk about, uh, yeah, you're repairing, you're plumbing, you're wiring, you're painting, you're waterproofing and so forth. But uh, then, uh, you know, it begs the question, uh, those are living near the coastal areas, are they in for uh, big trouble because the salt air gets in and uh, maintenance is high? And uh, I mean, I, I, I believe that uh, properties near the coastlines are much more expensive. But on the other hand, they're even much more expensive to maintain, uh, Mohammed. Uh, con- uh, you know, consider that uh, to people living inland. So, would you say that our properties, um, you know, on the coastal uh, side or on the uh, coastal uh, regions, is more expensive, but more uh, expensive to maintain and so forth than our properties that are inland? Uh, your reaction, Mohammed? Of course, your natural attractions like your sea your mountains, like your table mountain, uh, your oceans, are properties that generally are much more uh, valuable than just another property, the same property than being inland. So yes, from a financial aspect, you find that some of the properties along the Western Cape area uh, are extremely valuable. You know, they're going into 10, 20, 30, 40 million rand, sometimes even 100 million rand for some of these properties because of where it's situated along the coast and the views and you wake up in the morning or you go to sleep at night and you watch the ocean and you, so that has an intrinsic value that, you know, makes it um, a great, possibly a great investment. But at the same time, we fully aware that living by the coast requires that, you know, that um, uh, steel gets rusts from time to time, uh, like cars in the early years, you know, Joe Burgers always had this joke, did you get your car cheap because you bought it in in, in Durban, you know, <laughs> because of all the <laughs> rust that used to but corrode the cars in today's day and age? We don't have the same issues, you know. We don't hear of the cars corroding. They've improved on the metal and these things. But just, just to give you an insight, and 
like that, we see also when we come to some of the homes along the coast that because they use this aluminium, these this old window frames, these steel window frames, that a lot of rust and corrosion happens. So people are now moving over to aluminium or moving over to wood. And it used to cost a lot of money to maintain and repair these types of things. And steel and other steel structures, like not steel structures, but I mean metal structures like steps and uh, and and steels and light poles and you know uh, fixtures and fittings within the home also would rust and corrode because of the bad weather and the salt and and and, and the elements natural elements. So yes, that was something maybe we never considered and we never had to consider. Our cars could last many more years because of the non-corrosive effect on the motor vehicles. Our home. to work out what the maintenance costs would be, if any. And today, when you build a home, you don't have some of those issues because now they have considered very carefully how to build windows or build doors and build frames and structures that require zero to no maintenance. So you get aluminium and you get stainless steel that doesn't uh, that doesn't rust and corrode. And today people are using that more and more. Uh, and, and maybe it's reducing on maintenance costs and it's giving you an opportunity now for your property to appreciate accordingly. And it looks stunning. I mean, when you look at stainless steel or you look at aluminium, it looks much nicer than the old metal window frames used to get or, uh, or other accessories around the house. So it has its value. With that also, people invested huge amounts of money along the coast hoping to make windfalls. But, you know, the economy is such that today, whether you've purchased the property on the coast or you've purchased it inland, whether it's in a suburb or in a rural area, you find that market conditions influence the properties all the time so today people are losing values to their properties for other reasons you know it goes back to the to the basic principle of economics and supply and demand if there's an oversupply of houses then there's um, the, the demand then doesn't pick up and if the demand doesn't pick up accordingly then your oversupply means the net result of which is that the value of the properties are going to come down yeah, a good point indeed, Mohammed. So, in other words, you're telling me that the value of properties will decrease as the demand de uh, decreases. So, uh, and obviously, the other, uh, uh, you know, uh, line will apply where there is a uh, you know big demand, then the prices go skyrocket and uh, so forth. And uh, it seems, if I'm not mistaken, uh, that uh, you know you have your elite areas in 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 in, in uh, your part of the world. They talk about Houghton. They talk about Santon. And so forth. Say hey, this is the place to be, and uh, the value of properties uh, very high there. And then uh, you know you'll be talking about Umshlanga uh, and all these other places there, Belito, and you say oh, these are the places you should be there, or Westville, and so forth. But uh, really speaking, uh, Mohammed, you know all these areas have been compromised uh, to such an extent that the influx of uh, people coming from you know other parts of Africa and other parts of the world. And turning uh, these uh, cities once upon a time that looked, or the suburbs that looked, you know, uh, plush and uh, looked clean and trim, today, you know, even in these suburbs, you have to cut your own verges and do your own maintenance, uh, although you're paying rates and taxes or you pay your municipality their dues. Um, we've been compromised in a in in in, in a very unfair way uh, as a ratepayers and taxpayers. Uh, your thoughts on that, Mohammed? I have actually the diametrically opposite approach. 
I believe the only reason this property market is still continued to be sustained is because of the influx of foreigners in this in this country. So I give you a typical example. You go to Overport. Maybe 30 to 50 percent of the people that are purchasing property in Overport <laughs> are foreign nationals. <laughs> they're Bangladeshis, they're Indians, they're Pakistanis. <laughs> Remove that from the equation. Muhammad, Re- I, I, yes. I want to tell you something. You know what they did? That same properties, you're talking about the same properties uh, that these people, you're talking about the Bangladeshis, the Pakistanis, or, you know, the Ethiopians and the Somalis. Those properties, oh, those uh, business, uh, you know, outlets, were let out to locals. You know what the landlords did? When these Bangladeshis came and when these Pakistanis came and when these uh, Nigerians came, they offered the landlord five times the rent. And they kicked the honest local guy out. But go ahead, Mohammed. Go ahead. Yes. So I, 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 I'm using this as an analogy because what happened in Overport or in some of these areas happened nationally. Now, Overport or Lanasia, let's take Lanasia and Overport simultaneously. These foreigners came in and they were paying to purchase properties in these areas. And they were paying to rent properties from landlords. And they were paying and they were stimulating the economy because our own people were moving across the road to Westville and to Umshlanga and all these areas, and they were abandoning these properties. So had it not been for these foreign nationals, the value of these properties would have plummeted. Believe you me, these foreign nationals have stimulated the economy in a way that our local people, and you say, honest, I, I would reach out to say, these people are just as honest. They're hardworking. Why would they pay twice and three times and quadruple the rental is because these people with the same resources, the same market, the same conditions are putting in extra effort. Whereas our businesses close at five o'clock, a lot of these businesses only close at nine and ten o'clock at night. Whereas our businesses are closed on Saturday afternoons and Sundays, these people are open on Saturdays and Sundays. When you need bread and milk and you need some groceries or you need some fruit and vegetables and you go down to the local Indian shop, he's open on a Sunday morning when everybody else is closed. And he's, and he's convenient and he's providing exactly the, the burgee that you require and the dals and the jiros and everything that you learn. He has it with him and he's making more money than our local people would have made because he has an initiative to do this. This is how our grandfathers and great-grandfathers were when it came to Vepar. When it came to business, we never treated Friday, uh, Saturday and Sunday as holidays and weekends. Our parents worked hard and they, they persevered and they came from India with absolutely zero. Whatever they carried on their back is what they owned. And they came to these countries. It was just a matter of a decade when they established themselves in the communities. They built Huge masjids. In those masjids must have cost a fortune hundred years ago to build. They build those masjids. What did Gray Gray Street Masjid cost? Go back and just consider. In today's day and age, it will cost you maybe hundred million rand to buy a piece of property that size and to build the masjid and to build the complex and to make it the the center for 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 for, for prayer for all the people in the CBD. How much uh, financial resources were required? Who our great grandfathers and great grandfathers who came from India didn't have access to the wealth that we see today. They were they were they were basically just 
businessmen who knew and understood the basics about business came here with a good attitude, never complained, never, we were treated like second and third class citizens, but nonetheless, they, they knew and, and understood what it is. Today, when we look at these indigenous people, they come. Firstly, firstly I, I need to state that because they are our Muslim brothers, we have to treat them with the dignity and respect that we would afford any Muslim, local Muslim that we have. The fact of the matter is they are the muhajis that have come to seek a better lifestyle, to seek a few rands, to make ends meet so that their children can go to school and have a plate of food in front of them. South Africa is not the best of destinations. You know, we ourselves as locals, we're thinking of abandoning South Africa. And these people, for them, it's a hope and they dream to, for them to come to South Africa. We get calls daily from people in, in parts of India that say, you know what, the situation in India is getting so bad. It's about time that we need to consider coming, going out to various countries. And maybe South Africa, because of the, uh, the positive stories that they've heard from family and friends who've come to South Africa to say, it's a good opportunity. We still have a good Islamic opportunity. We have, a, 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 with a bit of effort, you can make a little bit of money and there's a good opportunity for us. So yes, considering all these things, I, I, I still have a varied uh, approach to these things. I say, you know what, when I go into the squatter camp sometimes, when I go into the informal township sometimes, it's that Bangladeshi brother that's coming to the masjid and opening it up and making the azan and making the imamate and praying and goes back in the evening. For that, I need to take my hat off because me and you, we too ladi that to go into the townships. We too ladi that to go make salada in the squatter camps. But their businesses are there, their wives and their children are there, and they've established little musallas in that area, and I take my hat out to them. Allah for documenting that, uh, Muhammad. And, you know, as you said, our, our fathers and our grandfathers, our forefathers came to this country. But they came in, you know, in a very honest manner. They came through and they paid their due diligence. Uh, they paid their rates. They paid their taxes. And uh, this is what they did, uh, you know, uh, religiously, I would say. And uh, then, uh, you know, as you said, the foreigners that have come through, they have uh, stimulated the economy. But there is a... Um, a complaint, a, a big hue and a cry from many. Uh, even the government uh, is, is uh, you know, very uh, lax on this. That uh, these foreigners, they do not pay their their taxes, and uh, most of their money. And uh, many say the Chinese are doing the same thing. Is sent out of the country. So how do you stimulate the economy then, uh, Mohammed? Shafat, I hope you can hear me. The rain is starting to come down. Alhamdulillah. So um, <laughs> I hope it doesn't. I hope you uh, can hear me too. I can hear you perfectly, alhamdulillah, because yeah. of the great weather in Durban. The always great and welcoming weather of Durban reminds me of Mumbai in so many ways. Mm -hmm. But yes, let's let's be honest about it, Shavad. Let's put things in perspective. These foreigners who come in, they're unable to open up bank accounts. And maybe that needs to be put into perspective that if banks are a bit more understanding of their financial situation, then they would continue, that these people would open up the bank accounts and start using the financial system in the way that we use financial systems. They have real difficulties opening up bank accounts in this country, number one. Number two is that a lot of them want to conform. They don't want to be on the other side of the law. They want to register their businesses. They want to register for VAT. But they, they, they're afraid because of the red tape and, you know, the amount of fear factors that involve with these things makes people afraid. But when they sit down with us, we have to give proper legal advice. And that involves, brother, it's it, me, when you get registered for tax, even as a foreigner, it doesn't mean that they're out to punish you. I pay tax, you pay tax. Everybody in the country who's working pays the taxes. I would encourage you to pay the taxes. So let's make, let's, 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 let's now 
regularize your business in a way that now you're going to conform. They are happy to conform. They want to pay their taxes, but there's a fear factor and element because they feel they're foreigners in this country. And, you know, if they can raise the with SARS, then the next best thing is SARS is going to hunt them down and wonder where they're getting all the money from. And, you know, so they, there's an element of fear and misunderstanding. But they are... When, you know, you're, you're, you're harping, and, and, I, and I say this, as much as we consider our people to be honest and our grandfathers and our forefathers to be honest and, and people of integrity, in the same way, I believe that the vast majority of people that come into this country, especially from the Indian subcontinent, want to eke out an honest subsistence and, uh, you know, they want to do things and they want to conform. They also want to send their children to decent schools. They also want to get integrated into universities and get their children to become professional people and contribute to the community and contribute to society. So, yes, when you look at their perspective, they're struggling in many ways that we take for granted. We need to reach out to them and people in the accounting industry, people in the professional industry, people like ourselves have the opportunity to interact with them. How many of them are purchasing properties? And when you ask them, listen, you know, you, you, you can't just purchase a property without showing where your source of income and all these things are coming from. So before you even consider buying properties, first get yourself sorted out. Register yourself as a taxpayer. Open up a PTY Limited. Register your PTY. Start getting getting an accountant and start. And they do these things. And after six months and one year, now they, you know, they in the mainstream, they in the tax net, like they say. I said, now you're in a position to start purchasing properties and start getting your things going. So yes, they also want to purchase homes. They also want to stop being punished and being by paying exorbitant amount of rentals for shops and for homes. And uh, so the exploitation of this situation is there because we understand, we think that they're foreigners and they should be exploited, but that's not the right and correct attitude. We need to reach out to these brothers because with them, like I said earlier, is the, is the benefit that they're bringing. They're establishing a Muslim population. I think some me and you argued about how many million Muslims there are actually in this country. And we know that it's grossly underestimated because of the fact that um, uh, we we're not really, these are undocumented people. These people have been unaccounted for. They're not being uh, census. There's no census on the on, 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 especially on immigrants. Even illegal ones don't document Yeah. yeah, yeah, Muhammad. As you said, the rain comes and intermittently, if the rain is uh, blocking Muhammad out, our apologies uh, because, uh, you know, it uh, really uh, had a beautiful signal. But inshallah, we have uh, about five or six minutes to go in the program. We will we'll carry on. But, uh, Muhammad, I like uh, the points uh, that you make. And uh, inshallah, perhaps, uh, you know, a lot of us uh, are thinking you know, we must have empathy, sympathy for our brothers. Uh, who come up from the other part or from the subcontinent and so forth. And, you know, the tragedy also, Mohammed, is that, that uh, these individuals are soft targets for, you know, criminals or those people that are prone to robberies. And they rob these poor, uh, these uh, brothers from uh, the subcontinent and knowing well that they will not report uh, the, the crime to the police because of, uh, you know, as you said, maybe undocumented or they don't have uh, certain papers and so forth. But in, 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 in your case, uh, Mohammed, uh, you have conscientized them and you have told them, you know what, we'll do certain things. But uh, there's, uh, there's another point where they have 
the Pakistani Association of South Africa, where they, you know, those uh, Pakistanis that have come in in different areas, like in the KZN or in Kauteng, in the Western Cape, Eastern Cape, they all be, have affiliations to the mother body of the Pakistani Association of uh, South Africa. I, I believe the same is with the uh, Bangladeshis, the Egyptians, the Somalis, the Ethiopians, and, uh, you know, all different groups, uh, but they have their associations here. And uh, perhaps, perhaps uh, to address uh, this issue of, uh, you know, registering yourself properly, we should go to the mother body perhaps the Pakistani Association of Southern Africa or South Africa and so forth. What's your what's your thoughts on that, Mohammed? You know, you say sometimes they become victims of crime. Why do they become victims of crime? Because there is, criminals are aware that these people have to carry their cash with them. These people don't have credit card facilities. They don't have, most of them don't even have bank accounts because the banks don't know how to receive these clients and what type of accounts to open for a foreigner in this country. So they have to carry the cash. And then what happens when they go to the police stations? If they've been mugged in Joburg CBD and they go to the local police station, the police officer will say, how How can you carry 10,000 rand? Where you get the 10,000 rand from? I mean, is this... (laughs) This is typically what happens in the police station. The mm. police want to know where you got your 10,000 rand from. That wasn't his business. You came to uh, to report a crime that took place. But when you go there, you should know better. You guys don't know. You foreigners, you come into this country. You've got lots of money. Now. Come buy me, and then those guys, buy me a lunch. Me, I need to go home now. This is the attitude of the police when it comes to foreigners. We have this attitude with ourselves. If somebody holds you up, they want to know, oh, where did you get so much money from? Unfortunately, this is the... Uh, the the, 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 the condition of our the nature of our, our police services in this country and we ourselves as locals have little to no uh, hope about crime being resolved and the issue of crime in this country being reduced or lessened or zeroed out unfortunately this is the reality how much more suspicious are the foreigners when it comes to these issues in the country and yes that's that's the first thing the second the second point you brought about was uh formalized structures of foreign nationals and I, i've had the opportunity to deal with some of these and alhamdulillah in many ways uh, there are s- certain systems that they are trying they inculcate they provide legal services they provide accounting services they provide their secretarial services to law these businesses they give them advice in a way and in language and a manner that these people can understand um, yet it's you know uh, uh, it, it appears that they have not captured the vast majority of the market because there still is a major unawareness of the existence of these bodies but yes these bodies do good and they have professional people that that advise them in professional capacities from time to time. Um, I know the Bangladesh community in South Africa, in Johannesburg, is quite strong. You know, they, 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 they've purchased uh, masjids, they've purchased buildings, and they've uh, established themselves in a way that if you walk into a masjid that they manage and control, uh, it's in accordance with their local custom and their local culture as well. And they, they run it so that people can feel at home. And there's a lot of services, but yes, uh, there is these structures and these structures need to be supported. And here's an opportunity for some people, professionals, you know, uh, that can go and assist and give value. And at the end of the day, our Muslim brothers from Bangladesh or India or Pakistan can benefit and they can establish themselves. And um, we, we can work, we can work together with these people. We already work together in so many other ways. I mean, I as an attorney tell you about 
instances today where the Indian community, Indian nationals are busy purchasing properties. So we understand the dynamics, level of suspicion about dealing with a professional person, level of suspicion when dealing with SARS, level of suspicion when dealing with police services. They have their apprehensions. But we once we know we have their support and we have their trust, we're able to guide them in so many ways that you know, on a day-to-day basis after that, they befriend us and they rely on us to give them this type of assistance and advice. No, absolutely brilliant. And, uh, you know, when it comes uh, uh, to burial, and most of them love to send their, especially the Pakistanis and the Egyptians, they love to send the body back home. You know, they get it embalmed and so forth, and they do it. And it's all done uh, via the, associ- uh, the associations that, that they have. And if an individual doesn't have the money, they all club together and, you know, they send the body over and so forth. Well, Mohammed, I can tell you a great uh, chat with you, brilliant uh, as, as usual. Perhaps, uh, you know, on a note uh, to see, we spoke up how our properties are depreciate. And perhaps, you know, if you think uh, deeply, a property, if you invest in flats, I don't think your flats will depreciate that quickly. I think that's uh, one type of investment that will keep on appreciating. What's your thoughts on Mohammed? So I think we need another one hour schedule. So you have to then set aside one hour for me in future <laughs> for me to answer Inshallah. that particular question. But Property as a whole, over the years, seems to be an extremely decent, risk-free investment. However, if you specifically want to narrow it down to flats, I would say it's supply and demand. Many flats in the area that I live in are now standing vacant because of an oversupply of accommodation, because of the elderly people and the younger people gen, uh, generation moving out to the northern suburbs, that's the Santons and the, the other Centurions and Pretoria areas because of work commitments and work responsibilities. So, um, yes, there's definitely um, uh, things to be considered in conjunction with uh, financial and economic conditions at all times. Um, and if there's a good demand for flats, flats generally can be a nice nest egg. It's like a retirement uh, nest egg that you know that you have two or three flats or five flats or ten flats in one building, and uh, the day you need to dispose of it, there's a good opportunity that you can have a huge, a decent amount of money to retire with. So yes, that has a place in invest, investment spectrum, and. Um, you know, they, they, that that could lead on to a different discussion because with that same attitude, I could say, but in the small commercial uh, commercial shops on the corner somewhere, maybe an extremely better investment because per square meter you're renting it out, and there's less maintenance in a shop than you would have in a flat because in a flat you generally have geysers and you have uh, other items that could break and need repair and maintenance. In a shop, basically, you just give a person one tap and maybe an outside toilet, but uh, other than that, your maintenance is is minimal. So flats have uh, a place and a spectrum in the big scheme of things and so many other property investments as well. So uh, that would lead on and gives me an opportunity for us to have another discussion, inshallah, if Allah wills. Inshallah, Muhammad, they're really fascinating indeed, and alhamdulillah, conscientizing the ummah on the platforms of Marcus Sahaba, the voice of the Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah. We leave it to you with your parting words, uh, Muhammad. Uh, gee, uh, I hope that, you know, that 
my, my message went out loud and clear. I know there was intermittent problems with the rain, but um, the rain is more needed at some of my, uh, some of the words that I, uh, that I had to, had an opportunity to discuss this evening. But Alhamdulillah, Jazakallah, once again, for yourself and your esteemed radio station, for giving me an opportunity for us to have a beautiful discussion. Although we only touched and scratched the tip of the iceberg, we hope that inshallah we will have the opportunity to go deeper. It's an opportunity for us to have some professional advice from a person like myself to people that want to consider extending their portfolio and consider various property investments. But uh, thanks, thank you, thank you to, 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 for giving us this opportunity and thank you to your host and the radio station for allowing us to be with you this Friday evening. Jazakallah khair. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. If I'm attorney, uh, Hafez. Muhammad Kubadia, wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Time for us to go for the Isha'zan and inshallah we will continue after that.